Chapter 5 of Ruffles and Danny, or The Responsibility of Ruffles, by Marjorie Watson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Yes, Jock, we'll plant the hollyhocks right here against the south kitchen wall, so Eunice can have something bright to look at when she's washing the dishes. Pears to me that's a little resky, Miss Mary, ain't it? And Jock Tuttle, with a twinkle in the tail of his eye, placed himself so as to be plainly heard through the open kitchen window. "'Where does the risk come in?' demanded Mary Frost. "'Hollyhocks need all the sun they can get, don't they?' "'Well, yes, but yer see I warn't referrin' to the health of them hollyhocks, but just er wonderin' whether your pod want to pay Eunice for leanin' her elbows on the window-sill and gazin' at posies.' "'I rather guess, Jock Tuttle,' came a strident voice from within, that he'd about as leaves pay for me for improvin' my artistic education as to be givin' you good money for addin' hot air to a mornin' already warm enough. The slamming of a tin cover on an iron kettle gave additional emphasis. "'Jock, you're an old tease,' smiled Mary. "'When you get a smell of Eunice's cookies, you'll wish you'd been more politic.' "'Well, I'll get some, don't you fear, little lady,' said with all a man's assurance. "'Huh!' was all the response vouchsafed from the kitchen to this. Jock went on with his digging, and Mary sat down on the grass with her hands clasped about her knees. Her simple lavender garden dress, with its short, turned-back kimono sleeves, displayed her tender, shapely arms. A becoming, white, Dutch sunbonnet shaded her clear-cut features. There was a purity and delicacy in the colouring and modelling of Mary's face, which, while not strictly beautiful, emanated a decided charm. Her life in a country village, where the different families and homes are like separate members of one large family, and where the demands for personal interest and sympathy are constant, had bred a lasting expression of tenderness and ever-ready compassion on the lovable humanness of Mary Frost's personality. "'Have you seen anything of the people over on the point, Jock?' "'Nope, but I've heard a lot about em. Saul Turner thinks they're about the best thing that ever happened down there. Says they's aristocrats of the right sort. No snobs to them.' They've hired the Tucker Barn and keep saddle horses and a saucy-looking little pony for the kid. Nobody seems to know much about the folks that's took the cottage across the way, coming from St. Louis, I understand, and get here tomorrow. How is the Petrel coming out this year, Jock? Is she in commission yet? Yep. I put on the last coat of paint this morning, and she looks pretty, I can tell you. Jock Tuttle was skipper of a cat-boat, as well as gardener, and during the summer months had his hands full taking out parties from the hotel and cottages. "'I know one young man that'll keep the Petrel's wings busy,' said Mary. "'That's so? Where's he going to put up? Hotel, I suppose.' "'Yes, his name is Richard Huntington. Harvard graduate, comes from Salem.' You'll know him when you see him, Jock, for there's a saying that you can tell a Harvard man anywhere, but you can't tell him much. Mary rose with a little laugh. Now I'll go see how father is getting along in the vegetable garden. The place is going to look prettier than ever this year. 
she said, glancing about with the delight of a true nature lover. The air was so still and warm, it seemed a midsummer day. Back a little way from the road, and hidden by thick lilac bushes, just now in full bloom, was a honeysuckle arbor where Mary's hammock was swung. It looked enticing. I believe I'll just enjoy the coolness of it a few minutes, thought Mary, as she stepped in. The hammock was swung straight across the back, opposite the entrance. A rustic table supplied with books was close at hand, and on either side stood comfortable hickory chairs with turkey-red cushions. There's a knack about getting into a hammock which is by no means given to everyone. There was no room for doubt, however, about Mary's comfort after she got finally settled, with two or three cushions tucked into just the right places. The hammock swung low. With one foot she gently rocked herself, dangling her sunbonnet by the strings from her hand. Gazing dreamily up through the new, tender, green leaves of the honeysuckle, she thought with pleasure of the future blossoms, the hummingbirds poising and darting from flower to flower, and the drowsy, drowsy hum of the bees. Very soon the sunbonnet dropped to the floor, and Mary slept. Following along the bank of the river, whistling and whittling as he walked, came Mr. Sanderson. "'By Jove, I believe I'm tired. Must have covered a good bit of country. Getting hungry, too. It's astonishing what an appetite one gets up down here. Let's see, where am I, anyway?' he soliloquized. "'Why, this must be Captain Frost's land, I should judge. Guess there's no objection to my taking a short cut up through to the road, and I may run across the captain.' Throwing away his stick and pocketing his knife, he sauntered along with an appreciative eye for all the beauties of the place. The grass seemed softer and greener here than elsewhere. It was short and even and well kept. Catching a whiff of the fragrance from the lilacs, he looked about for the source. My, what an ideal place to rest! With a sigh of content, he turned his steps in the direction of the arbor. His approach being noiseless, Mary never saw his start of surprise, and then the look of admiration which swept over his manly face, followed swiftly by a sense of shame at his unintentional intrusion, nor the instinctive uncovering of his head as he backed quickly away. Thus there happened an unconscious mutual knowledge of each other's existence. Mary smiled in her sleep, as she dreamed of the boy and girl in the South Station. End of chapter 5